Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jen. And I'm Megan. And we're here to tell you some more uh, interesting nature stories from around the world. Very exciting. I appreciate if you've made it this far with us because... Because we have over 100 posts on Instagram now. (laughs) (laughs) We've really made it, you guys. (laughs) You guys. No, we appreciate it. If you're still listening... Continued on this journey with us. Yes. And it is a journey, Megan. I know I already told you this, but just pretend Mm -hmm. like you haven't heard it because this is for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything is about you, Megan. Oh, my God. I wanted to share that Megan actually told me to listen to a, a podcast that's been out mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. It's called Affirmative Murder. Oh, so good. And it's really funny. It's like, so funny. These guys are funny. They're lovable. They are great. I love, mm-hmm. I mean, they banter and obviously so do we. We can appreciate a good banter. So if, you're, if you've hung in with us this far, then you must love some banter. So you should check these guys out. But they talk about true crime. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I thought they were really cool. And I ha- I've only listened to a few episodes, but I did subscribe, rate, and review. Hey, what? Yeah, you got to do it. I just kind of picked one of the last more recent ones. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, as an independent podcaster, how he had gone back and deleted their first few episodes. Right. I think what we realized is that all the pauses that you guys don't hear, that we hear, <laughs> like in the beginning, I didn't know really know how to cut those the right way. Or like I, I wanted to save every little tidbit of information that we said for right. posterity's sake but it's really there's it's, no need for it's, that <laughs> it's a little bit much we're just human beings over here yeah what he was talking about is how you don't know anything when you start that's the truth so you have to learn how to speak to a microphone you have to learn how to edit four fingers jen which is why you have to have megan to edit everything because oh i don't do that i mean there's a lot of things there's a there's and we a lot have of jobs and kids and all that stuff so and cats i mean yeah they take up a lot of time chickens so. i have to hold them every day and so there's a lot of things mm-hmm. but we love doing it so we hope that we can improve over time mm-hmm. we're not going to delete any of our old episodes heck no but anyway we're going to do our best to improve hang in there and also we're getting a lot of feedback we love the story ideas mm-hmm. the you know sharing pictures sharing thoughts merch ideas oh merch ideas come on I, somebody gave a merch idea and i did it like that one of the merch ideas is for pets oh yeah yeah and i know you're super excited to work on that yeah i'm super excited to create some merch because i've noticed a lot of our instagram followers are posting pictures of cats and dogs and you know we all love nature and outdoors or yeah. we like looking at nature from the indoors like from our phone or tv i mean that's why saber is the way he is because we sit on the couch a lot and it's a safer bet then you won't be on our show someday <laughs> That's right. You just watch. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to try and put out some pet merch. It's going to be great. Little tiny bandanas for lizards. No, probably not. Or like a little hat. No. A little hat for your bearded lizard. Not yes. Probably not that. But we could have some bandanas for your dogs. Definitely. I don't know. Cats are Cats really, are not mm-hmm. really good with that kind of stuff. I appreciate you hanging with us. And we hope to only improve. If you have ideas you want to share with us or Please. things you would like to uh, see us do to even for improvement, like constructive criticism, we're open to it. Excellent. Also, in other news, Megan, mm-hmm. we got an email back well this is you oh the cat my conservancy yes because we wrote to them about their amazing 
Fat Bear mugs and their merch. And we're like, we want to know how to get these because we must have a Fat Bear mug. Yeah, the best part was that I saw on their Instagram that they were doing a giveaway for the Fat Bear mug. And I was like, oh my God. And so I wrote to the email and I was like, just can I, where can I get one? I was just like, hi, where can I get a mug? Please, By the way, we have a podcast. Please, can I have a mug? Well, <laughs> yeah. well, when I, no, it was, please, can we buy a mug? They wrote us back. I honestly, after I read I saw the email and I was like, this is the nicest. It's so great. And then I looked at Megan's email and was like, we want mugs. It was just so, it wasn't. Send us a mug. We'll give you some money. That's exactly what it was like. I was like, you know, thank you for writing back. It's a really nice email. We haven't gotten permission to use anyone's name, uh, but they did write us back to say that they're an all volunteer organization, which I think we talked about when we talked about the Katmai Conservancy, because they were one of our uh, our organizations to support for the Treadwell, Mm -hmm. um, Timothy Treadwell episode. They're saying they're going to have some more in their store uh, by mid-June. People are like super into the mugs. Uh, I mean, I really want all of the mugs. They're super oh, cool. Oh, man. We, we got to get some mugs. And then, Jen, they forwarded our website to their grandkids. And I was like, what? That's amazing. Uh, and that, you know, they said they enjoyed our podcast, that they had raised some black bear cubs from two pounds to 300 as part of their dissertation in the Great Smokies. That's so freaking cool. They also said they're an eth- ethologist, ethologist, which is really just the study of animal behavior. Right. So that's I think that's such a cool word. Yeah. And then they gave us some more information about brown bears and uh, subspecies, which was really cool. They were talking about how the coastal brown bears are so well fed, they tend to be more docile, still dangerous, nowhere near as dangerous as the inland grizzlies, grizzlies, which I think the inland inland grizzlies were the ones that were in that grizzly maze. We talked about the grizzly maze. You remember how he started out in one area first, then he went to the grizzly maze at Mm -hmm. the end. I think those are the ones that are more inland. Mm -hmm. They were saying uh, those guys are hungry all the time and have a much more grumpy aggressive disposition well there you go yeah stay out of the bear maze very cool we're hoping to hear back from them because we want to do we want to do some partnership with with the cat my conservancy such a great organization they are fangirled a little bit we did we totally fangirled over that megan i have some science news are we done are we good with that yeah we're just gonna do some patreon shout outs at the end so stay tuned for that stay tuned i have a little bit of science news let's hear it jan i'm super stoked If any of you listened to last week's episode on bees, it was a lot. It was a lot of information. And I kind of focused on Africanized honeybees, which Mm -hmm. moved from South America, from Brazil up into the southern parts of the United States. So I was kind of focused Mm -hmm. on that because it was the article that I had read where some uh, that poor man got swarmed and passed away. So because we have a lot of listeners Australian listeners and some from New Zealand and other parts of the world Mm -hmm. but I wanted to talk just real quick just throw this out about Australia because I was also what wait one thing is we did get something from did we ever talk about this uh that fosters no one in Australia drinks fosters oh because Megan kept saying apparently not Australian for beer (laughs) (laughs) apparently they don't even sell it yeah fail it's disappointing or they don't drink it do they not sell it it, I thought they said that they hardly can find it anywhere fosters distribute it 
yeah okay anywhere anywhere continue with your story i'm sorry anyway i wanted to share with mm-hmm. our australian listeners and new zealand listeners mm-hmm. some b information because i was like well wait a second when did they get to australia because obviously they're there oh the africanized honeybees no there are no africanized honeybees i'm talking about just honeybees just in general because remember when i told oh, you right. they all they originally came from colonialists yeah but they originally were in southeast asia right it's kind of spread from there that's their origin right, right anyway right. Mm-hmm. Um, So Australia has 1,700 species of native bees. A number of those species were brought in from overseas and became established. And so that is where the European honeybee comes in. And they were introduced for honey, just for honey production. And some others arrived accidentally. So that we're talking about the European honeybees, Apis mellifera, which is the one we talked about in the other episode. They were brought over in 1822 by early colonists. So there you go. Colonizers. So apiarists. I love that. That's a nice word. In Australia now keep hundreds and thousands of them. They manage hives. Some swarms, of course, escaped like they do and have Mm -hmm. become feral. There is some, they have seen the impact from the the feral honeybees on the native flora and fauna. It's a little, you know, it just happens, right? Mm -hmm. What? Just thinking about feral honeybees. There's like one little honeybee (laughs) with like the Mad Max. (laughs) Tina Turner hair, you know, (laughs) and just like, welcome to the Thunderdome. But it's like a beehive. All right. So now they're that they're feral and wild and Mad Maxing it around. (laughs) They're the most common bees that people will see in their gardens. So for New Zealand, they have originally 28 native species and 38 introduced species. And I really want to tell this because it's so interesting or weird. I don't know. So a lot of their native species look like honeybees, but they're a little bit smaller. So guess what the person's name who introduced these bees. It was on actually March 19th, exact date, 1839, Mary Bumby. Shut up. I'm not joking you right now. B-U-M-B-Y, just saying. Is that where they came up with bumblebee? I don't know, because I did read something they used to be called humblebees, but they called them bumble because of like a kid's nursery song where they bumbled around. around. Mm. So I don't think it was after Mary Bumby, but weird so she was the sister of a methodist missionary and they say was probably the person who introduced the honeybees to new zealand because she brought two hives ashore that's why they probably have like shipping dates and that's how they know it was Mm -hmm. march 19th 1839 and that's when she landed at a mission station in new zealand they were on the manifest Mm -hmm. so while new zealand had native species of bees already they weren't suitable for producing honey so that's why they had brought over these Maybe they were those like loner bees. Yeah, they were probably the solitary bees. Like or they might have had some other kind, but they like weren't. Like hives, but producing. they're like, we don't make honey. Right. We're not here to sweeten your drinks. So that's just how, that's when they came over to Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I also f- wanted to check the UK just to see like what mm-hmm. was the deal with that. And I guess for years, people thought that they had been introduced in Mm -hmm. like 15 or 1600s. But new evidence is found. They can trace them back to 9,000 years ago. They were calling them a non-native species. And now they're like, oh, wait, maybe they're native. Anyway, that's my part one of my science news, which is really just kind of filling in more information from last week. Because I didn't want to leave our people in Australia and New Zealand and everywhere. I don't want to leave you guys out. You had uh, so much bee information. And I remember you saying like, I have so much more stuff I could talk about with bees. And then I was making a suggestion that we should do like a mini episode. Well, even after I listened to it, I was like, oh, I didn't say this or I didn't say that. Like, 
Like, mm-hmm. you know how I was saying that the Africanized honeybees will go and invade regular European honeybee nests. Right. And the, you can't tell them apart. They look exactly the same. And so what a lot of beekeepers will do is they'll constantly change out their queen with, you know, a known European honeybee or Western honeybee so that they can keep make sure they're keeping out the Africanized. Oh, wow. What do they do with the traded out queens? Do you, do they like trade them to different hives? They're like, okay, I'm going to take queen A and put her in well, hive B. I don't know. Or do they just like murder her? I don't know. Just, I'm not really sure. What would that be called? Queen aside? <laughs> There's a word for it. Uh, regicide. If we there have we any apiarists because she's regal. out there or any beekeepers, let us know. Yeah. This science news story that I'm about to share with you was shared with to me by my lovely mother. Oh. So I want to give her a shout out. Oh, thank you, Julie. And I talked about it in last week's episode. I remember. That I was saying that there's another species that is on the brink of extinction. And actually, it's kind of cool that you're going to talk about this because my story this week deals with extinct species. I am going to talk about an article that came out just this month. Mm -hmm. It's new, new news. And it's about Tasmanian devils. The first Tasmanian devils born on Australia mainland for the first time in 3000 years. What? It's just nuts. I feel like I should know about Tasmanian devils. All I can think of in my head is the Tasmanian devil from like Looney Tunes. Oh, really? Are they like rodents? Or are they marsupials? They're the world's largest carnivorous marsupials. Right. And they are actually native apex predators. Tasmanian devils actually died out on the mainland in Australia after the arrival of the dingoes. The dingoes ate all their babies. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then they were restricted to this island of Tasmania. So that's where you can find them. The numbers even suffered more from this some sort of contagious cancer, Mm -hmm. which is really sad, known as the devil facial tumor disease. It's a cancer that spread throughout the population and killed around 90% of the population since it was discovered in 1996. Wait a minute. I didn't think that cancer could be passed in a contagious way. Typically, it's not. But Mm -hmm. this one, the DFTD, is some crazy special kind of transferable cancer. And it harms the Tasmanian devils by causing tumors to grow around the face. And that interferes, obviously, with like feeding and breathing and breathing and leads to eventual starvation. It kind of reminds me of the fibropapilloma in sea turtles. Right. That is a real problem in Hawaii and some other areas. And it grows all around their face and in their throats. And then they can't eat or it grows over their eyes. They can't see. Right. That actually is a form of the herpes virus. Oh, okay. And it's spread kind of like that. But this one, yeah, it's a contagious cancer. Very frightening. They've uh, had a lot of setbacks. Last September, Aussie Ark, which is a zoo, mm-hmm. introduced 11 of the Tasmanian devils back into the wild on mainland Australia. This is after an earlier trial they did involving 15. So it brought the total on the mainland to 26. How do they prevent the dingoes from eating them? Well, again. they mu- maybe they have them because remember when we did talk about dingoes, we talked about that they have like the largest fence ever. Oh, so yeah. they might have them in areas where they're fenced out. Mm-hmm. So like some sort of exclusive exclusion fence where there there are no dingoes. I'm sure wherever they put them, it's got to be somewhere safe. Safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they just realize because I'm sure they've got cameras on them and tracking device or however they're tracking them, which I didn't. I'm not looking at a full. This is just yeah, yeah, yeah. Science news. They have seen that they've succeeded successfully reproduced they see the little babies and they say they're the size of a shelled peanut inside the pouches of the mothers (laughs) 
One female Tasmanian devil can give birth to 20 to 40 joeys at once. That's like a machine gun. <laughs> you know how we were talking about polar <laughs> right. bears? You were Just like shooting them out. Boop. The Tasmanian devil's like. But here's the thing. It says that the joeys race to the mother's pouch, and but she only has four boobies. Oh, wait a minute. So she lays a bunch and then it's like survival of the fittest? I think so. That's some crazy shit right there. So because it says those that make it to the pouch carry on living for around three months in the pouch. Say you have 40 and only four can live. Jesus. That's insane. So then what happens to the other? Do they just get reabsorbed into her body or does she just carry around? It's like the Hunger Games right there. Little tiny dead baby Tasmanian devil skeletons. Oh, my God. I don't know. We need to we should look into this some more. That is, we need to do a whole episode on them, honestly. The total right now is there's seven baby Tasmanian devils. Sorry, I should have read this first and it would have answered our question. So there's a 988 acre Barrington Wildlife Sanctuary in New South Wales. Okay. But we skipped ahead because you started asking me other I'm stuff. I'm sorry. God. And that's the Australian nonprofit Aussie Ark, which okay. they also said they're a zoo. So we can check it out on their Instagram or feel free to go to their Instagram and check it out. Do we follow them? We do follow them, Megan. That's great. And there's a quote. From the president of Aussie Ark that says, we've been able to historically, albeit in its infancy, return the devil to the mainland. And today is another milestone entirely. But um, because he said infancy. Oh, got you. <laughs> it is Sunday. Sunday pun day. We're going to post one. So that is the story of the Tasmanian devil coming back, which is similar to your vultures, but I am minor way cuter. Sorry. Sorry, vultures. Love you. Wow. Want you to live. Wow. You're not cute. You serve a purpose in this world. And yes. I appreciate that. But Tasmanian devils are way cuter. This is true. That was great, Jen. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to hear your story. I'm really stoked to tell you about the story today. I'm Uh, super stoked to hear it. I'm going to start out with some death percentages. Excellent. It's the best way to start out anything. Did you know that roughly 20 people in the United States every year are killed by cows? Because they eat the cow and they get some like mad cow disease? No, no, no. Or like the kill? Killed by a live cow. Typically, they're either kicked or trampled. Oh. There's a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of different ways you can die from well, cows. Well, they're big. But yeah, they're really large. And you know, 75% of those attacks are uh, premeditated by the cows. They're like on purpose. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if premeditated is the right word. It, they're deliberate. The cows are like, I'm going to kill you. And then they do. Wow. They well, follow we know through. like bulls are dangerous. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. you know. Cow moms, cows, right? Because cattle is the general term. And mm-hmm. then bulls are the males and cows are the females. And then they have calves. So when cows have calves, they're even more, yeah, protective, aggressive. aggressive. <clears throat> Did you know that the meanest cow out there, Jen, according to many accounts on a thread that I read through Cattle Today. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a there's second. There's a website called... You read Cattle Today? I did. I love it. It was great. And most cow people, cow pokes cow folks okay let's go with that they say that jersey bulls are the meanest because they're from jersey that's where you're from but and i love it i'm not really from there but kind of yeah genetically genetically you're from there <laughs> i i got some of like i said i i read through cow today i'm sorry <laughs> cattle today they had an online message board i was just i mean so it's many not messages. that it's funny because there's yeah. a lot of people that have and i would love to have cows and sure. if i had a cow i would read it it's just funny that you read it yes because 
You have no cows. I have no interest. And have never had any interest. Mm -hmm. There was a Peace Corps in the group after us who grew up in Pennsylvania and they raised dairy cows. And I remember he was talking about, oh, you know, we should have cows in the location where we were for Peace Corps, except that dairy cows, and I had never known this, I learned it way back then, uh, that dairy cows eat a certain kind of grass. Because, you know, their milk is going to taste a certain way. And if oh, you're going to have... right, right, right. Yeah, like certain grass-fed cows, it's like all different kinds of vegetation that they're going to eat based mm-hmm. on how you're going to use them. And I was like, oh, wow, I never knew that. I just thought they ate grass. Right. Because that shows how much I know. <laughs> Cattle Today is one place where I got some information. There's an independent.co.uk article, The Washington Post... I'm obviously going to post all of these things. Yeah. Metro.co.uk, the Smithsonian Mag, and a bunch of Wikipedia stuff. I feel like all the people out there that grew up on a farm or grew up raising cattle or anybody who might possibly listen to us would just be like, really, ladies? Let let me just preface this with, I know shit about cattle. And I'm not really going to talk about so much about cattle in general, but this is just an interesting thing that I found. And I thought we should talk about it. The next part here, I'm going to give you some information on some United Kingdom cow attacks Mm -hmm. that have happened. And I thought this was interesting to throw in here. It's kind of related to our story. You'll see how it is. But when I think about cattle, like if you as a just a general person, a general person, the general public were walking around cattle, Joe normal, (laughs) Joe normal, I think a little bit about like Ireland and the UK, because Mm -hmm. you you know, you always see those things. and, And maybe it's just like a Jane Austen thing. Or I don't know, people walking through the village, and there's like, like a pasture of cows. Yeah. And you got to walk through the pasture. So I guess it's there was this article that I read. I thought it was interesting. Everything Let's about start there. the UK in your brain is pride and prejudice. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. 2014, Simon Coldrick was badly injured after a cow attacked him as he uh, led through a fell race on the edge of Sheffield. So... I know you're like, what's a fell race? Well, mm-hmm. it's just when you're hill, when you're like running on hills. I think as Americans, we would call it cross country. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's doing this cross country race mm-hmm. and he gets attacked by some cows. So he was crossing this big field. It had like 20 cows in it. And Simon said, quote, I didn't know whether to go around the cows or through the middle. I think that a combination of things freaked out the cows. It was thundery weather. There were calves in the field and it was evening when apparently cows go a bit berserk. I didn't know that. So what did Simon say? Um, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. He uh, is like kind of running through this field. He sees the cows. The herd rushes him and he ends up getting thrown up in the air. <gasps> Dude, run and then, faster. And then trampled. Oh, my God. Ugh. So it's Ooh, like the cows are like, you're a threat. Yeah. Other racers and paramedics from the race came to his rescue and then he was airlifted to the nearest hospital. He said at the hospital, they even remarked that it was cow trampling season. I was lucky, really, and hope something good can come out of this by making people more aware of the dangers. So he ended up having eight fractured ribs, a broken shoulder and a bone on his spine that was also like broken or fractured in some way. He ended up getting metal plates in his rib cage to strengthen his ribs. Oh my God. I can't believe he lived. I was like, wow. Eight you... broken ribs? That's like a lot of ribs. That's so painful. Yeah. I can't imagine the, the recovery. I'm surprised he didn't have a collapsed lung or something. But that particular field was used for like 20 years for that race. They'd been doing this race for 20 years. And the organizers are now rethinking it because there hadn't been any attacks before that, but this one was pretty severe. So they don't want to repeat. That same year in 2014, a 62-year-old man from Cornwall, which I know you know about. 
Wow. Yeah, I live there. Yeah. He reportedly died after he, his wife, and two dogs were caught in a stampede (gasps) of cattle near Ashbourne, uh, Derbyshire. Uh, But yeah, he died. Very sad. Uh, Later in the same day... In a nearby field, another man was injured in an attack, but said the cows ignored his dogs and came straight at him. Oh, my gosh. Mm. You know, I talked about my mom earlier. Yeah. There's a show and it's based in the UK and it's all about helicopter rescue. And it made me think of it when you started talking about they rescued that kid. And I'm just Oh, the runner. Yeah, yeah. The runner, which I bet they had to go out in some of these kind of remote-ish areas where it's harder to get to. Yeah. A more recent cattle uh, attack in the UK. In 2020, 72-year-old Malcolm Flynn died after being charged by cows as he was walking along the, I don't know how to say this, but it's uh, the Penine Way near Mm -hmm. Thurwall Castle. Ten days before that, school teacher David Clark was killed by a herd of cows while walking his dog near Richmond in North Yorkshire. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. And recent. A lot of the cow deaths that I read about in the US were more like people who work with cows. Yeah. These seem to be more like pedestrians. Right. Or walking their dogs. Right. Where you have kind of like walkways or... That go through other people's property and they have cows there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not like a typical thing in the US. If you have a if you have a dairy farm or cattle farm, whatever, it's like set aside land, you know. But yeah, I think things are the landscape is definitely different mm-hmm. there. And there might be parts of the US that are similar, but yeah. but yeah, forget about sharks. Yeah, actually cows have a higher kill rate <laughs> per year than sharks do. <laughs> <laughs> Again, seeing the far side cartoon right? for this. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> the, the cow kill rate cartoon. <laughs> the cow kill rate. <laughs> so the article goes on to give advice on cow safety, mentioning that if there are calves, that's dangerous. Watch out for bulls. They can be really aggressive. If you have a dog with you, make sure they aren't riling up the cattle. Yeah. Right. And then there was an interesting point made in the article I thought was kind of different. By law in the UK, farmers are entitled to destroy a dog that injures or worries their animals. Therefore, dog walkers should keep their dogs on their lead at any time of the year when near farm animals, particularly during lambing times. Whoa. I know. So definitely the farm animals have the have the upper hand here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and actually, that law is called the country code. It's like the code of conduct in the country. I like it. They give some tips in the article as well. Like I said, this is kind of like a like a precautionary article. They they want people mm-hmm. to know if you're going to walk through the countryside in England, right. you need to know these things. PSA. Yeah. If you are in a field with a bunch of cows, you need to move away as carefully and quietly as possible. If you feel threatened by cattle, then let go of your dog's lead if you have a dog with you, obviously, uh, and let it run free rather than try to protect it and endanger yourself because a dog will outrun the cows and it will also outrun you. And I'm like, oh, that's smart. Yeah. If you don't have a dog, you follow the same advice. Move away calmly. Do not panic and don't make any sudden noises. Uh, chances are the cows will leave you alone once they establish that you pose no threat. Jeez. Yeah. They're like cobras out there. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Gotta be careful. Giant cobras. <laughs> they can just trample you with their hooves. Uh, so they do talk about bulls and right-of-way. Basically, it's like farmers aren't supposed to keep bulls in fields that people will walk through. So if pedestrians have a right-of-way through oh, a path, oh, like oh, a oh. path or something mm-hmm. through their field, farmers are not a- allowed or supposed to mm-hmm. put bulls in those fields because they're more aggressive makes sense yeah Yeah. put them somewhere else like you gotta fence them away from where people might be and then they're supposed to also put up signs that declare that the field is absent of any bulls okay so i guess that's just like a no bulls here wink wink 
<laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> it's no bullshit. All right. Uh... So I was kind of reading about these cow attacks, and I thought that was interesting. But it all came from this original article that I read about this guy called Derek Gow or Go. I guess it depends on where you're from. But how do you spell it? G O W. Oh, okay. And it like was like cow. Either way, like cow, but Gow. With a G. Yeah, or Go. This article is from 2015. Derek is a Scotsman living in Devon, England, and he is actually the inspiration for why I got interested in this story today. I read an article about him having to put down seven, some other sources say 20, but we're going to go with seven of his cows. So he had to kill seven of his cows that he had gotten in 2009 because they were way too aggressive. He'd already had them for like six or seven years. Wow. Yeah. Quote, the ones we had to get rid of would just attack you any chance they could. Uh, This is from The Guardian, this article. They would try to kill anyone. Dealing with that was not a lot of fun at all. Even loading them onto a trailer to get rid of them was a challenge. A, quote, very athletic young man had to allow the beast to charge at him as he stood on a ramp. (gasps) Derek says that with the culling of the more violent animals, peace has returned to his farm. Wow. And they're just cows. Okay, so they're not just cows. Oh, they're like the killer bee cows. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) The interesting part about the cattle is that they're called heck cows. H-E-C-K, like those heckin' cows. And I was like, weird, what a weird name. At first I was like, that's hilarious. What the heck? Yeah, Yeah, you heckin' cows. But then I learned that heck cows were actually, they have kind of a sinister and shitty start in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but these particular cows have really long horns. Like a a Texas longhorn? Yeah, like a Texas longhorn. And Derek said that the cows would charge at him, quote, with every intention of wiping you off the face of the earth. So they're like real aggressive. And I'm just trying to get across that these are very aggressive cows. In a way, this shouldn't have surprised Farmer Derek because of the heck cow's history. You see, Jen, the heck cow is a result of Nazi breeding experiments. What? And I was like, exactly. That just kind of like gave me like a yuck. Yeah. After I read that, I was like, I must know a lot about these. I need to learn like why cows? Why? Why would they do that? Why'd they have to mess with? I mean, we already know the atrocities that the Nazis committed. And I'm sure a lot of folks know that they were obsessed with the idea of the ultimate Aryan race. Yes. Um, so we don't need to really go into that. What is it called? Eugen- eugenism? Eugeni- eugenics? Eugenics, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not, so I'm not going to go into kind of any kind of history lesson on Nazis in that way. You talked a little bit about the breeding programs that happened uh, when you talked about Jan Balserad. Mm-hmm. So obviously animal experimentation wasn't off limits to the Nazis if they were already experimenting on people and trying to do these breeding prog- programs for people. Like animals are nothing to them. If oh, you will. for sure. Yeah. So part of the idea of Aryan history or what the Nazis were trying to recreate was this perfect, quote, nirvana uh, of Northern Europe descent or like the environment in Northern Europe. Like mm-hmm. that was what they were going for. And they yeah, wanted to recreate that. One of the cattle in that region that had been long extinct is called the Auroch, A-U-R-O-C-H. Okay. And they're a very large bovine species. They're about the same size as like an American bison. Wow. Uh, Huge horns. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And there were subspecies all over Europe, India, Northern Africa. So they're kind of like across. So if you think about like cattle that are in India, like those are descendants of the Arak. Maybe that's why they worship them and don't eat them. Oh, maybe. But similar. I mean, that's also their religion. The more European subspecies have like a coffee colored pelt fur. Uh Genetic analysis shows that the Texas longhorn breed of cattle originated from a hybrid between Iberian breeds of domesticated wild 
wild aurochs from the Middle East and domesticated Indian aurochs. So the longhorn is a, comp- a descendant. Wow. And they're yeah, big. They're big. Yeah. They got the crazy horns. There's actually cave drawings. I'm not sure where. I didn't read too much about that of the aurochs. And it said that Julius Caesar said the beasts had extraordinary strength and speed and were, quote, a little below an elephant in size. They're kind of like athletic cows. Like they have really long legs for bovine. They're really muscly, like athletic looking. <laughs> I just think of cartoons when I think of that. Yeah. But yeah, I want to think bit. of like a huge muscular like cartoon like with like little up. tiny feet. <laughs> <laughs> they did have like really kind of long legs for cattle. Mm-hmm. They died out because of competition from domestic breeds and overhunting. So they dwindled away. And eventually the aurochs disappeared from the European landscape altogether in 1627. That is the last recorded aurochs. It died in the Yaktora forest in Poland. Oh. And then there was a Dutch writer, Sis van Vuur, said the aurochs had the, quote, dubious honor of being the first documented case of extinction. Oh. I didn't see anything else about that, but it, I think what he's saying is that people wrote it down like these things died and that's it because obviously there was uh, there were other extinctions before that yes just this is the first documented right the nazis knew about the aurochs mm-hmm. they're these like ancient northern european cows and they didn't want just any old aurochs Like they're thinking about resurrecting. They wanted to make a super cow based on the Ark who would embody the spirit of their war campaign. Oh, wow. Who came up with this? Right? Yeah. Good times. So they talked to two brother biologists. and, And actually, I don't think it was really the Nazis who talked to them. After reading more about these two brothers, Lutz and Heinz... Heck, okay. that's where they get their name, Heck Cows. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who came up with these cows, actually. There are some different accounts, like people are like, oh, the Nazis came up with these cows and made these brothers make these cows. But actually, the story is a little bit different. So the Heck brothers are these two biologists. I'm going to give you a little bit of history on both of them. Lutz was born in 1892. Okay. And Heinz was born in 1894. Okay. Their parents are Marguerite and Ludwig. Ludwig? Heck, Mm -hmm. it says that they actually grew up in the Berlin Zoo. So I don't know if their dad was a zoo director or he worked with animals. But either way, they both, they grew up in the zoo. They learned a lot about animals. They both have a love for animals uh, and then later breeding. It's like Life of Pi. A little bit. And their parents had a friend, a colonial explorer friend, who would come back from Africa Mm-hmm. And like give them all these accounts of Africa and how amazing it was and all these giant animals and things that he mm-hmm. had seen. And so they were they were like pretty uh, regaled by that. Enthralled. Enthralled. That's a better word. Yeah. In the early 1900s, there's a lot of breeding experimentation going on in Europe. People trying to make... <laughs> this is in one of the articles, Jen. I know you're going to love this. People trying to make ligers. What? <laughs> yeah. You people... don't know what that is? That's a liger. <laughs> <laughs> I drew you this amazing liger. (laughs) There's like Napoleon dynamiting the shit out of actual animals. Well, I feel like it was the same with dog breeds and cat breeds. And they were just doing all the things. All the things. Yeah. They were seeing some species going extinct. Mm -hmm. And there was this focus on trying to prevent that extinction from happening or put them, you know, in some kind of captive breeding program. There was Mm -hmm. more like industry was really kicking off then. There's a lot of hunting and development and domestication were causing issues with wild species to go extinct. And I think that's where probably zoos really spread more and started, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to protect and 
and they would protect species exactly captive breeding and they would go and do collections Mm -hmm. in different countries to kind of like oh these things are going to be gone so we should keep them and try and breed them yeah so the brothers got really into breeding around that time as well okay and they started doing breeding experiments with like rabbits oh okay like i've already mentioned the nazis and and now it's going to be on everyone's mind yeah that are they evil yes you're thinking it in your head right now well because a lot of people that did things under that regime Mm. they weren't doing it willingly right a lot of times or if they were doing it willingly they were crossing all sorts of lines that they shouldn't cross yes so that's where we're we're waiting to see what what's the real story megan all right so the 1920s uh they started a selective breeding program to quote recreate wild animal species recreate yes is this like doctor what's that island um, dr moro or i say dr moro dr moro and it's like the godfather got marlon brando, <laughs> marlon brando. <It's> dr. Moreau. <laughs> i'm gonna make him a deal he can't refuse <laughs> and val kilmer oh that's right oh, i val feel kilmer. Like, yeah so that's oh, where they man. were they were trying to breed yeah doing some weird shit that makes my stomach turn yeah okay so this is not quite the same um <laughs> they- good yeah. So it's said that the motivation for them to do this was to rescue species from that were like gone from oblivion. They wanted to be able to reconstruct a species and correct the mistake man had made when they killed it off. I, I mean, I feel like that's a good intention right there. Mm-hmm. And however it ends up, we'll see. But yeah, yeah. And specifically, they were looking at two species. One is the oryx that we talked about, and then uh, wild tarpons, which are horses, wild horses. Okay. Part of the motivation for the oryx was because people were constantly confusing oryx with the wisent, which are these large bison, bovine kind of bison that were also found in the Holocene period in Europe. They wanted to put them next to each other because the wisent weren't extinct yet. Okay. They wanted to put them next to each other and be like, look, they're different. So they wanted to recreate an extinct animal mm -hmm. and then proved to everybody like it's not this other thing. That had been extinct for almost 400 years, 300 years. When this is like early 1900s technology. Yeah. Bring it back. Okay, cool, Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're going to get a tiny mosquito gen that's cased in amber. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... to bring back these animals, the aurochs and the tarpons, it's Mm -hmm. called breeding back. So basically they're attempting to breed back an extinct species by selecting traits from modern species. So they're going to take whatever those offspring look like from the ancestral species, if they have this trait or that trait, and they're going to breed them all together to make the aurochs again. Okay. So it's like genetic Frankensteining Yeah. I mean, kind of impossible to do. It sounds crazy it's a little bit crazy and actually it's super controversial well yeah because a lot of people say like oh if this species is extinct it's extinct for a reason Mm -hmm. you know it happened this way like whatever let's move on let's just move on let's just move on there are the heck brothers like get the electricity hook it up to this cow let's bring it back let's do this so their plan was actually uh the inverse of a russian experiment that was going on to create domesticated foxes through selective breeding so rather than breed forward with particular traits in mind to get them domesticated they thought that they could breed backwards to eliminate the aspects of their phenotype that made them domesticated does that make sense Another way to say it is they're breeding backwards to get rid of the, the domesticated features so they get a more wild animal. 
the ancestor, the Auric, which was a wild bovine. Oh, okay, species. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Because the other, because I got confused on the, the fox part. So the Russians were trying to make a domesticated fox, and the Germans were trying to make a wild. What if we had a domesticated cattle? fox right now? <laughs> oh my god! Because <laughs> they're so cute. They're adorable. But yeah, no. Yeah, but it's probably stinky. I guess you would selectively breed that out of them. God, yeah, this sounds awful. It just sounds awful. Just um, leave them be, people. Yeah. <laughs> just leave them alone. So like I said, there was a lot of co- controversy about this kind of breeding. And in fact, I read something about Heinz saying that the European bison, the Wissent that we were talking about mm-hmm, earlier, mm-hmm. they were going extinct naturally. And he felt like that was okay. But then later, he also has a hand in their conservation. So I don't know. I don't know which one is true, like what their actual opinions were. It seems like they really wanted to do this breeding back. Okay. Yeah, so it's less like Jurassic Park, the way that they're breeding, and more like the uh, like a backwards Westminster dog show. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a backwards Westminster dog show. Yeah, it's show. like if you took the Westminster, like some breed of pug in uh-huh. the Westminster dog show mm-hmm. and then bred it back to be a wolf. That's what they're trying to do. That's crazy. It's I mean, crazy. That's, a good, that's a good analogy, though. Like trying to go from a pug back to a wolf. A wolf. Yeah. Um, What's done is done. <laughs> It's the over. pug is there and we love them. We love they're, you pugs. They're great. But don't go back to being a wolf. Like a tiny pug-sized wolf? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like a wolf with like a squished face and a curly tail. <laughs> so messed up. I feel like these guys had way too much free time on their hands. Yeah, for real. So they spent time uh, examining those cave paintings I had mentioned that the Aurochs are like drawn on caves in Europe, uh, wherever. So they went around and they they looked at those cave paintings and they looked at documentation of what the Aurochs were like, their demeanor, their physical traits, those kinds of things. So they Mm -hmm. looked at all of that. And then they basically looked at modern day breeds and they were like, okay, this, this, this. Lutz was actually more interested in hunting the Aurochs that they're trying to breed back. So he wanted a fierce fighting breed of cattle. To, to hunt. To hunt. Like they would just let them go in the wild and then and hunt then them. hunt the shit out of them. Which is like, why are you uh, even bringing them back if you're just going to hunt them again? You I know what I mean? Know. Anyway. It's just so... Um, so he selected Spanish fighting bulls as part of his breed. Okay. But Heinz did not select Spanish fighting bulls. And eventually they both came up with their own breed. So they had two different oh, So they were both doing their own thing. They were separately separate, doing this. Like yeah. competing with each other. Maybe a little, I'm sure. I, as brothers. As do. brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1932, the first bull that Heinz Heck believed to resemble the Auroch was born and they named it Glatchel. He was 75% Corsican and 25% gray cattle, lowland and highland and some other kind that I'm not, I mean, I don't know anything about cattle again. So it's like this kind of crazy cross. Right. And he's like, okay, this is good. We're good. Here it is. And then he took the father of that. So the bull of that first born and then the first born Glatchel. And then he bred them with some other modern day cattle, cows, Mm -hmm. to make more of what he thought were the Aurochs. No, I'm following. I'm okay. following. Well, how long did this take? So 1932, they started in the 20s, like early 20s, okay. with this whole project. Right. And like I said, it was like some accounts say that the Nazis came to them, but that's not really the case. Uh, the Nazi party was only beginning to form. We'll see later that Lutz meets someone influential in his life after he's already started this whole uh, breeding back program. Someone who says like, hey, oh, these are good. Someone influential, you say. Someone influential. Who had written a book, maybe? Oh, no, not that not that one. Uh, so in the, the mid to late 20s, the Nazi party is in the beginnings of its rise to power. And Lutz joins a volunteer force fighting protesting socialists 
on the streets of Berlin. So Lutz is like, I like nationalism. Mm -hmm. All you socialists got to go. So he's out protesting in the streets with the beginnings of the Nazi party. Okay. Yes. In 1927, he becomes assistant director of the Berlin Zoo. Lutz does. And it's not super clear, uh, but at some point, likely because they both like hunting, Lutz becomes friends with Hermann Goring. Oh. Yeah, Hermann Goring is basically was like right-hand man to Hitler. He was an architect of the Third Reich by Hitler, yeah. He and Lutz Heck become good friends because they both like to hunt. And Lutz is like, hey... I've got these cattle that I've bred back to look like these ancient aurochs that were extinct since mm-hmm. 1627. And they're like super muscular and aggressive and, you mm-hmm. know, they're going to be good for hunting. And so they kind of kick it off uh, there. And, and the like I had said, the brothers were doing this separately. So Lutz actually sends his group of cattle, his herd, to Hermann Goring's estate in north northern berlin mm-hmm. or north of berlin and then heinz sends his to poland like what's modern day poland okay so they each have their different breeds different herds yeah it's like i don't really know how closely they were genetically they it says that they were a little different but they were both called hex cows both called heck cows because oh sorry heck cows yeah heck cows because they're the brothers heck but if so, they're genetically different right and why they have the same name mm. there are a lot of accounts that are like oh they did this together and then other ones that were like no they did it apart and as far as i can tell they did it apart right and the nazis didn't ask them to do it they did it themselves because they were interested in breeding okay in 1928 heinz becomes the director of the hellebrunn zoological park in munich Lutz is the assistant director of the Berlin Zoo, and his brother Heinz becomes the director of the Hellebrunn Zoological Park in Munich. When the Nazis come into full power, Heinz was actually one of the first political prisoners to be interred in a camp called Dachau. It was the longest running concentration camp started in 1933. So it must have been around then that he was sent there. And he was sent there because they suspected him to be a communist and because he had been briefly married to a Jewish woman. And he was later released from the camp. There wasn't really a lot of information about him. In fact, the only other real information about Heinz is that he saved the European bison, like I had mentioned earlier, the Mm -hmm. Wissant, from extinction. Um, He helped to breed them from 90 individuals in captivity to high enough levels to release them back into the wild where they are today. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So wait, so the other brother was like... Lutz was like buddies. Buddies with Hermann Goring. And the Nazis and all that. Mm. But the brother. But Heinz, yeah. Got sent to a concentration camp. Yes. Because he was married to a Jewish woman. At, at one time, yes. At one time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know. I like have some speculation I'm a just little. wondering I mean, why we can speculate, if his brother right? was friends with the highest ranking Nazi, per, you know. Maybe they really hated each other. Seriously. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be something there. They they doesn't sound like they were working together. They mm-hmm. were competing. Mm-hmm. And maybe this was uh, Lutz's way of being like, I'm going to get rid of him. Right. And he told you, hey, this guy was married to a Jewish woman. You should throw this him was, in. He's a communist. Put him in this concentration camp. I can't camp. believe. How long was he in a concentration camp? It doesn't say. It just says he was there and later released. That concentration camp is the very first to open in the longest running. I, not, I, yeah. I don't know if it was first open, but it was the longest running. And it, 1933 is when it opened there's some definitely some backstory backstory. Mm -hmm. that's so interesting okay sorry continue um there's a lot of information on lutz probably because of his close friendship with goring and his support of the support of and participation in the nazi party because you got to make sure everyone knows 
He's a fucking Nazi. Wow. This is where the het cows come into play with the Nazis because they had the muscular physiques and the deadly horns. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goering actually wanted to use them and did use them in Nazi propaganda material during World War II. Interesting that his name was Goering. Yeah. Just saying. It is. (laughs) When you think about a cow and the horns and all that. Yeah. yeah. And Um, how evil he was. And a coward. A coward. I mean, convicted war criminal, but committed suicide before he was going to. Yeah, so he wanted to be shot like a soldier. And everybody was like, no, you'll die the way we tell you you're going to die because you're a freaking one of the worst people in this whole world. Yeah. They wanted to hang him and he killed himself the day before. In 1935, Goring sent Lutz to Canada for him to get more bison and moose for the Berlin Zoo. Because remember, he's assistant director at that time, mm-hmm. uh, Lutz's. But Goring also wanted him as like a secondary deal. He wanted him to talk with the German expats who were in Canada about how great nationalism is and try and convince them to return to Germany. And join the Nazi party. Yes. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay in Canada. Uh, in 1932, Lutz was appointed director of the Berlin Zoo. I'm sure that had something. To, I mean, granted, well, his he brother grew up is there. in a concentration camp. I'm yeah, just probably like the next year. Yeah. 1933 is when it opened. So Lutz is appointed director of the Berlin Zoo. And it's like they grew up there together. And I just see Heinz is like leaving. He's like, you know what? He's all like, F all this Nazi stuff. Right. This is all speculation, of course. But we're completely speculating right now. Oh, yeah. But he was never involved in any of it, right? He no. was in a concentration camp. He and was he... not. And he didn't agree with the Nazi agenda. And they put him in a concentration camp. Well, that's how they rolled. That's what they did to people. So So in 1932, he's appointed director of the Berlin Zoo. And in 1938, Lutz passed a rule that prohibited Jews from visiting the zoo. Yeah, well. It's like I was hoping. That's just the beginning. When I read that Lutz and Heinz were both biologists, you, you kind of like have a little bit of hope because we're biologists. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> that like, maybe I feel I feel like Heinz had But then there's some... also like the mad scientist. Right. Yeah. Thing. It's true. And I mean, effing with nature and genetics and mm. all that. I mean, that could that's a whole nother level. Whole nother level. That's not like us. We're just out there like, oh, let's go count this bird population. Right. <laughs> you know, like look at the birds. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, we're going to. Yeah. That's a whole different. That's a whole different level. And there's a lot yeah. of awesome geneticists and they do a lot mm-hmm. of great things and people trying to save animals from going extinct. But this is like, this is real different. So after he did that real shitty thing and prohibited Jews from visiting the zoo in 1938, in April 1941, Goring appointed him chief of the Nature Preservation Agency. So uh, like based on the descriptions that they had about this agency, it seems like it's I like just, the Department of the Interior. It's really like a Nazi nature preservation agency. It's just <laughs> right? conflicting. I was reading a lot about Nazis. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was awful. It, they do have this really strange connection with nature nature like most of it is that like we want to hunt animals and we have dominion over them yeah kind of I, can, that. I can see that right right but there was a lot of people in the nazi party wanted to preserve nature well i know isn't it um where hitler's like house or whatever was way up in the mountains mm-hmm. and it was like this be- he loved to be outside and yeah. this beautiful view of the mountains and he had dogs and all this stuff like mm-hmm. it's just so conflicting right yes. it's like how can you how can you love animals and, and just, treat a whole race of people 
Yes. And try to wipe out a race. It doesn't compute. Yeah. So basically, Goring gives him the he's essentially like the director of the Department of Interior for Nazis. That's so weird. And he directly reported to Goring, who's his friend and hunting buddy. Uh, In that capacity, he was the senior responsible person for the entire nature management in Germany. Okay. At the time. While his brother's in a concentration camp. Uh, 41. I don't know if he's out by then, but he already was there. So yeah. Either way. But by then, he's just, he peaced out. So do we hear what happened to him after? Are you going to tell us later? No, not really. Or is it just like he went to a concentration camp and then he got out? That was kind of it. Yeah. And then he died in like 1982 or something. Oh, okay. So maybe he just like got out of there yeah and he died let's see they were born in berlin and heinz died in munich like he went back to the zoo i'm assuming it was just like i hate my brother and then he saved the wizard. that's the last thing that i learned about him okay that was it yeah okay it basically yeah so you have two brother. biologists one's a mad scientist <laughs> one is just a guy like trying to save some i i think cows. that they're both a little bit mad scientists because they both worked on that breeding back program yeah yeah it, it seems that heinz was less mad than lutz because lutz was like i want to i want to have these like super crazy cows yeah they both bred back Auruk-like animals that were aggressive because that was something that was a trait of the Auruks was that they're aggressive, long-horned, giant animals Mm -hmm. because they're wild. Mm -hmm. So kind of a shitty fact. I mean, there are so many shitty facts about Hermann Goring, but this one really, it's like you learn these little things about people and you're like, even this is an indication. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a small indication of just why I don't like people who do these things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not calling people not I'm just saying that we, we talk about exo- owning exotic animals. Okay. And right. how mm-hmm. we just, you know, don't do it. But it doesn't make them. So yeah, he, Herman Goring <laughs> liked lions and would raise cubs. And when they got too big, he would give them, hand them over to uh, Lutz to put them in the Berlin Zoo. I don't know how many cubs he raised, but it's like that whole thing of like, I'm going to take this exotic species i'm gonna raise them as my own until they're too dangerous until they're too dangerous and then i'm gonna give them to someone else or kill them it's just that yeah we've talked about that i just don't (sighs) there are people that go out looking for getting an exotic animal for sure and there are some that maybe find themselves in some situation where they felt Mm -hmm. as though they were rescuing an animal right yeah they end up with it and then they have to find a rehome it because but yeah definitely doesn't make them a nazi but he was just a shit bag so he was a shit bag this is just a very small indication of that yeah it was just one more thing (laughs) yeah i wanted to share a little bit about lutz's view on the world so he had a vision that that zoos should allow close contact between animals and humans and he envisioned what he called a kinder zoo for children where they could touch animals in a way that would affect their soul Uh, which I mean I get that like petting zoos are kind of the shit I love when I was a kid going to petting zoos and like seeing goats up close or whatever oh yeah like kind of scary and kind of fun and he believed that having this experience would allow them to appreciate the Nazi worldview oh Jesus and I'm like I don't know if I ever would put a petting zoo and Nazi worldviews in the same but that's what they did though right Mm -hmm. I mean that's how they got kids they had like camps for kids and it was like a slow drinking the kool-aid brainwashing kind of thing and i think that's all part of it to make it look like everybody's happy everybody's good Mm -hmm. this is so great this is a good life this is a good life and you know behind the curtain they were murdering people so 
Just Jesus. straight up. Uh, during World War II, Lutz took part in the pillaging of the Warsaw Zoo, stealing the most valuable animals and taking them to German zoos. Um, he organized a private hunting party to dispatch with the rest. So he took a bunch of animals that he felt were the ones that were the best mm-hmm. to bring back to the zoos. And then it says there's this uh, lady, Kitty Millet, who's a Jewish study scholar. And she says, quote, these animals could not be recuperated for any meaningful reason. And heck, with his companion enjoyed killing them and actually i think i talk about it later but he organized a party of nazi officers and soldiers Mm -hmm. and they actually did the hunt in the warsaw zoo they let the animals what kind of a hunt inside the zoo and then hunted them yeah and it's weird you know in this description that i read it says that he took part in the pillaging of the warsaw zoo in a later description it said that he worked with the zookeepers to remove animals that were valuable and i'm like yeah i believe the pillaging more agreed Mm -hmm. i don't know if you know our listeners out there probably know it's coming but we're we're edging closer to talking about big game hunting yeah (laughs) so we just we just want to make sure we cover it there yeah we're getting there but it's it's just that's what it reminds me of is you Mm -hmm. know this like letting an animal go in a in a small area where they couldn't possibly there's nothing natural about it yeah just so you can get the thrill of killing them what's the point yeah. What is the point? And are you going to eat them? Are you going to use them after that even? I mean, not that you should shoot animals in zoos ever, but what are you going to do with them after? Mount their head on a wall? Like, that's it? That's I mean, it. Come that's on. all. They just want to have the trophy. There was this kind of interesting quote that I read in one of the articles. It says, quote, on the one hand, National Socialism embraced modernity and instrumental rationality, something found in the Nazi emphasis on engineering, eugenics, experimental physics, and applied mathematics, write geographers Trevin Barnes and Claudio Minka. On the other hand, was National Socialism's other embrace, a dark anti-modernity with anti-enlightenment, triumphed were tradition a mythic past irrational sentiment and emotion mysticism and a cultural essentialism that turned easily into dogma prejudice and much much worse so basically they're like yeah nazis were super into science they did a bunch of really shitty science but also you know mathematics engineering all these things but eugenics like no right but at the same time they have this stance of like we don't want people to know about science and there are some parallels to be drawn to that today. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's like today's anti-science movement where people are just like making decisions based on how they feel. Right. And not, not based on science. Meh. Yeah. I don't like it. Nope. Don't like it. There was nothing about Let's Heck after World War II that was super significant. Basically, he was like appointed to be this like head of the nature thing. At some point, he was given an application to join the SS and he did not uh, fill out that application. He did not join the SS. He was not tried as a war criminal. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, none of that. Because I guess he wasn't like actively involved. He was just on the side. Right. Doing these kind of strange animal-y things that I think at that time, no one gave a shit about. No. Yeah. Not when there's humans uh, being murdered by the millions. Yeah. Not to minimize the 
six million Jews that died. Yeah, they were a little more focused on that. Than yeah, what this guy was experimenting. I don't with. think I don't think anyone was like, "Wow, these cattle." Um, yeah, no one cared. I will say that after, so when the Allied forces came in and they were bombing all over Germany, the wild aurochs and the ones that were at the Berlin Zoo were all killed. Really? Yeah. So the ones in Poland, which are Heinz hex heck cows. Uh-huh. Or attempt at the Arak uh, were not, most of them were not killed. They were saved in the Munich Zoo. Why were they killed? Why did they kill they, animals in the zoo? Berlin was being bombed. Oh, 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 okay. Got yeah. It. yeah. I thought it's like somebody was like, and let's kill the animals in the zoo too. Oh, no, no, like, no. Not their fault. Yeah, let me just read this one thing about, it's kind of sad. This is a quote from one of the articles. Animals succumbed to shrapnel wounds or burned to death in their cages. Mm. Uh, dangerous species broke loose and were shot. Uh, such was the fate of the Heck Oryx. Let's Heck's son gunned down the agitated and stampeding Oryx together with warthogs and wild boar after they had escaped their burning enclosures. So that's when the Berlin Zoo was bombed by Allied forces. So those that herd that he had created mm-hmm. uh, was wiped out, essentially. There might have been a couple that were wild or something that got free in the uh, north of Berlin estate, uh, Her- right. Hermann Goring's estate, but probably not. So the ones that Heinz took with him to Munich, mm-hmm. the zoo there were okay. Like they survived. Right. Because they weren't in the middle of being bombed. And yeah. Those poor animals. They never did anything. Just got caught in the middle of crazy people. They were they humans. Were, yeah, brought into the world by humans, for humans. Destroyed by humans. Destroyed by humans. Just. All right. So Lutz Heck died in 1983. Again, he was not convicted of any kind of war crimes or anything like that. Oh, and his brother was... Died in the, the 80s as well. Yeah, they both they died were in the old, 80s. Huh? They were old, yeah. Because that's like 90s mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Wow. They live nice long lives. And uh, Lutz Heck, actually, he died in Berlin. So he never left Berlin. Born in Berlin, died in Berlin. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1984, a year after his death, there was a bust of Lutz that was placed in the Berlin Zoo. Which I was like, well, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right, Germany. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but in 2015, a petition was submitted to remove that bust because of Heck's active involvement in the National Socialism Party, a.k.a. being a Nazi. Right. Uh, in order to meet this request halfway, an information tablet on Heck's past was added. So they didn't remove the bust. They just were like, well, here's a tablet with his information about his life. Right. Okay. I know it's very controversial, but Mm -hmm. I kind of see like all of these statues or busts or whatever not being displayed in some proud way, but being put in a museum for history. You know, like this happened. These things happened. Mm -hmm. These people were there and this is what they did. You know, they were shitbags. Yeah. And say like, you know, I guess in a way they kind of did that. But I I feel like all those things could just be moved to a museum where people learn. If you want to go. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to go, you have a choice. It's not in some public place. Where you you have to see it every day. Yeah, Yeah, or see them as some sort of hero. Exactly. Yes. BBC Radio 4 did a documentary called The Quest for the Aryan Cow. Uh, There's also another documentary called Hitler's... The Aryan Cow. Wow. I know. There's a documentary called Hitler's Jurassic Monsters presented by National Geographic. I want to see that. I know. And let me just say again, the Nazi party did not commission, as far as my research shows me, these brothers were already thinking about doing this way back. Right. Before. And then it was like, oh, these cows are good. The one brother brought it to... 
Right. The Nazis were like, hey, hey, look. Yeah. That's yeah. what it seems like to me. I And I kind of want to be like, man, these, these cattle are getting a bad name because some evil monster thought they would look good on a poster. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine putting like the Chick-fil-A cows on like a military war poster? Like, wh- Wait, Chick-fil-A cows? Yeah, you don't know the Chick-fil-A cows? No, Jen. Isn't Chick-fil-A just chicken? Yeah, that's that, that's the whole joke. Oh. They have cows and they and they say, eat more chicken. They have like signs that say, eat more chicken. They're oh, is cows. that the one that says the eat more chicken with the yeah, cow? And the, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I didn't live somewhere where there was Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I'm sure everybody that's like a big fan of the Chick-fil-A is like, what the hell? I mean, Chick-fil-A has some real bad politics. So I, it's like I can't ever go back to Chick-fil-A. But The Zookeeper's Wife um, is a book that was written by Diane Ackerman. And it was made into a movie of the same title, The Zookeeper's Wife. And Lutz Heck is portrayed in that movie because it's about the Warsaw zookeepers, Antonina and Jan Zabinski. And they were in charge of the Warsaw Zoo, which if you will remember, I said that Lutz pillaged that zoo. And so Mm -hmm. they had some interactions. The Zabinskis actually risked their lives to hide Jews in cages that once held animals. Oh my gosh. I I remember this movie, but I guess Mm -hmm. probably we haven't seen it because, I mean, I had him one or two year old at the time yeah and there were no movies to be watched well you can't go watch if i ever sat still i would fall asleep (laughs) yeah (laughs) so but no good i i feel like i that's one of those that i would have watched for sure yeah yes and we'll watch well you know i i want to watch it now that i kind of know more about let's heck yes and and the the zabinski story is interesting Uh so they actually smuggled uh all together about 300 jewish people through the zoo wow to liberate them yeah so that's pretty cool there was some fact checking because apparently let's heck is portrayed as very evil Mm -hmm. more so than he was in real life Mm. question mark well i mean movies yeah movies dramatize a lot of things so i had to go do some fact checking to so i could just share with you guys because i have not seen the movie yet but in there it he is a nazi which he was a member of the nazi party but he was also friends to the Zabinsky family from before World War II because they were all in the same zoo network. Yes. Right? They all you knew each they other from each other. zoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Heck had decided... So this is the part where in one of these articles it says, oh, Heck decided to take some species he wanted to the zoos in Berlin for, quote, safekeeping so that they would be spared the horrors of war. This is where I'm like, did he pillage the Warsaw Zoo or did he work out a deal with the Zabinskis because he knew them to take some animals? I don't know. We'll never know his true intentions yeah. because... But this is the part too where it says he did later decide that the other animals should be wiped out. He organized that hunting party on New Year's Eve that I told you about already uh, where they gunned down a bunch of animals that were left behind. Fucked up. Yes. Later, the zoo was turned into a pig farm. Uh, Heck was no longer in charge of it. So I guess that the Warsaw Zoo fell under his like nature officer, chief of whatever mm-hmm. title uh, in the war. So after when it was turned into a pig farm, he didn't really have anything to do with it after that. So he moved on pretty early. And I guess in the movie, he stays on longer than he would have in real life. Okay. Um, and there are apparently some scenes where he goes after Jewish guests. Um, that didn't happen. So he didn't go after their Jewish guests. 
Even though, let me just also remind everyone that he did ban Jewish people from the Berlin Zoo in, mm-hmm. you know, 1930s. So come on. Anyway, he didn't uh, stay in Warsaw for very long. The movie suggests that he did. And then there is apparently a side story. There's a story of a German Nazi officer taking Ries, who's a character in the movie, into the backyard and pretending to shoot him. While the story is true, it was not Lutz Heck who did that. Um, but they, in the movie... Um, have it portrayed by the character who's playing Lutzek. Right. Yeah. The actor who's, yeah, yeah. Um, There was also apparently in the movie a romance factor between Lutz and Antonina. That's like fabricated. Mm -hmm. So I guess she had written something in her diary where she's like, oh, Lutz is really nice to me. Uh, They took that and kind of, I guess, made him out to be aggressively interested in her in the movie. But does it ever talk about him or the brother? Well, I know the brother had a Jewish wife at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, have, let's have a wife. He had a wife. Yeah, German okay. wife. Yeah. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Yeah, and kids. Okay. Yeah, all that stuff. So this would have been like a uh, side. Little side action. Yeah, but that was, it didn't Again, happen. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, it's for the ratings. But yeah, and, and she, I guess in the movie, she uses this attraction she, that he has to her as leverage, uh, but that didn't happen either. All right, so today, Jen... There are about 2,000 heck cattle in Europe that still exist. In the wild? They're different places. Okay, so there's heck cattle that are found in German zoos. And someone, whoever wrote this, had some bias here. They said, heck cattle are found in German zoos because of the erroneous claim by the heck brothers that these cattle represent resurrected aurochs and are suitable for conservation projects today. So that's a little bit biased Mm -hmm. right there. There are about 600 in the Netherlands where they roam freely. And apparently weak animals are shot by hunters to prevent unnecessary suffering in the wild. So I guess they're... they're they're weak managed a little bit oh okay because they couldn't survive i guess okay i don't know why it says that because heck cattle are pretty resilient um there are some in france and bavaria as well and there are some in berlin randomly but not the ones that were in the berlin zoo okay uh there's been a lot of criticism of the methodology and result of the heck brothers programs the earliest criticism is back into the 1950s this is one of the quotes from someone who criticized them quote a lack of basic knowledge about the extinct aurochs broad selection criteria of breeds chosen to create the cattle and the rich imagination and complacency of the two brothers led to their excessive simplification of the breeding back procedure so basically, some other researchers were like, y'all are dumb. This is way too simple. Mm-hmm. This, you know, genetics are much more complex than this. Obviously, they no one knew about DNA back then, the double helix and whatnot. So it was just like pea plants. Right, right, right. Yeah. Just not enough. Some of the criticism also focused on the carelessness, the ease and the speed with which they had carried out their experiments, as well as the genetic basis. Heck cattle demonstrate a higher amount of heterogeneity than any wild animal or most other domestic breeds, which just means that there's so much variation in the color, size, mm-hmm. hair type, all the things that it's like, because they were breeding all different kinds of cattle together. Right. So and any of those traits can come out. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, which one is which, you know? Right. Um, heck cattle differ in many respects from the aurochs, and there are breeds that resemble the aurochs at least as much, such as the Spanish fighting bull. Um, heck cattle can cope in the wild uh, with cold temperatures or nutrient-poor food, and they don't actually need to be taken care of by people. 
So mm-hmm. they are more wild yeah. and resilient, if you will, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. the whole point originally of their initial experimentation. So they could go hunt them in the wild. So they could go hunt them in the wild. Right. And not have to take care of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, for Lutz's side of it, at least. Right, 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 right. Yeah. On the other hand, there are other robust cattle breeds that can cope with harsh conditions, at least as well as a heck cattle. So it's like they're not the best. Mm-hmm. They're not the worst. They can do it, but also there's these other cows that can do it. So, that are not. Yeah, domesticated cows who can like that survive. That are not their, so aggressive. That are not just ready to kill. Yeah. <laughs> at the drop of a hat. I did have some information on the heck horses, if you're interested. Those like the tarpons, tarpons. Oh, yeah. The wild horses that they bred back. Mm -hmm. So they're gray. They have primitive markings, including a dorsal stripe and horizontal striping on the legs. So kind of like zebras a little bit, Hmm. like little half zebras or something. I don't know. They are not very attractive horses. They have a large head and low withers, which I think that means they're just like closer to the ground. And they have strong hindquarters. So their butts are strong. A strong uh, but strong butt. Strong butt. And they That's important. It was you know <laughs> it is. Um the hooves are very strong and they often do not need shoeing, which I don't know a lot about horses, but apparently there's like certain horses that you, you have to shoe them. I mean I guess they're like domesticated horses. Because I obviously wild horses don't get shoes, so Yeah, but I think because they wear down their their hooves their hooves but right. if they're being in a stable or something then they, oh then they it never wear it down yeah because they're always running and I think doing it, things i'm looking at a picture of one right now they're fine they're not i didn't think they were particularly i guess i'm thinking of like i love clydesdales the way they look I, again i know that's a whole shit. thing though yeah i know shit about horses but like they just they just look kind of like mm, i don't know this Blah. european wildlife site says tarpons were not wild horses they were just feral horses oh well there but we go. That's what they wanted to do. Is- yeah. Um, so they do describe the heck horses as being calm, friendly, curious, and intelligent, although very independent. I'm like, you can't be intelligent and independent at the same time? Yeah. Who writes these things? <laughs> <laughs> kind of to bring us all the way back around to our Scottish farmer, if you will remember, Jen, Derek go or gow from the very beginning yes 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 in england he had imported a bunch of nazi quote super cows oh he bought them on purpose he bought them on purpose oh i thought maybe Mm -hmm. he like somehow they that's what i was gonna ask i was waiting to see if you were gonna talk about that maybe somehow they got it's not like bees that they can just show up (laughs) i mean i guess it would there would be some intentional breeding but if he they just swam across the english channel (laughs) yeah I, i was wondering if they had you know somehow got bred into some like local local yeah cows. yeah local no cows and then he just didn't know no he but he, he intentionally brought them he intentionally bought oh, them i bet they were uh, expensive in 2009 yeah he got like 20 or so of them but then i had said there were about seven that he had to kill i wonder why remember, because they were so aggressive they were like too aggressive why would he want those so yeah let's talk about it i don't think i mentioned this but heck cows cattle can weigh up to a ton t-o-n-n-e How many stones is that, Megan? Jesus Christ, I have no idea. It's a lot of stones. (laughs) So Derek Gao, this is, uh, I read about this, this article, like I found it later. The first one was just like, oh, he killed these cattle. He turned them into sausages. They were tasty. He turned them into sausages. He says it in the article, Jen. (laughs) Like, I made them into sausages. Well, at least he ate them. them. Yeah, Yeah, he ate them. I mean, there you Um, go. He said that they tasted like, uh, like beef, but uh, a little more gamey, kind of like venison. Yeah, because. Yeah. Because yeah. they're more wild. They're wild. Anyway. um, So he is, I guess Derek Gao is an ecologist, an expert 
on reintroducing beavers to Britain. Kind of random. So he had gotten those cattle in 2009. He now has a herd after he killed those seven. And then I guess they had some more cattle. So now he has about 17. Uh, He doesn't allow any visitors into the field. He says kind of the same stuff that I told you. Nazis wanted to go out and hunt them. That's why they were made. They can be nervous, but they're not too aggressive. And they look like extinct animals that used to roam the British countryside. That's why Derek wanted them. Wow. He added, the project is developing rapidly. We hope that people will be able to come to the farm and see the animals and hear talks about what the countryside was once like. So he is trying to do kind of like a rewilding on his farm. He's going to be putting wild boar, Muslim sheep. How do you spell it? M-O-U-S-L-O-M. European wildcats and wild beaver. He's hoping to open up to the public. So yeah, you can stay on huts in the farm, which costs about 120 pounds per night. And that that sleeps two people. So Jen, we can go and see the het cows in England if we wanted to. Derek told The Guardian that the beasts look prehistoric and would be perfect for nature photographers. And he is interested in starting his own breeding program. They are an important part of the ecosystem because each cow produces its own weight in dung a year, Derek said in 2009. That is excellent for the whole food chain from dung beetles upwards. Uh, Meanwhile, other breeders have become interested in the aurochs. The heck cattle that come directly from the Nazi program aren't technically the aurochs of old as they don't share the same genetics, which Mm -hmm. I kind of talked about. They will, quote, attack without a prior threat display. That is a quote from this guy, Henry Kirkjik, who heads a Dutch preservationist group seeking to resurrect aurochs via genetics. Mm. So it's still like a thing that people talk about, that they want to bring back these extinct species. And apparently it comes up like regularly as a controversial topic among researchers and like cattle farmers. But it's like, don't do this. And then this little last quote from Derek here, despite these problems. Wait, did you say little last quote? Yeah. Sounded like you said for a second, little last quote. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I got this little last quote for you. No. <laughs> I'm like, dang, man, you're getting so sassy. <laughs> last, little uh, last quote. Uh, so he told this to the Guardian, despite these problems, he's talking about the aggressiveness uh-huh. of the cows. I have no regrets at all. It has been a good thing to do. And the history of them is fascinating. I mean, agreed. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And what did they ever do? Like, they, sh- they shouldn't be like the pariah of the cow right. world. Sure. I mean, it's not their fault. Look, somebody needs to love them and the, let this no one, guy be the one. Part of this is because there aren't any in the U.S. probably, but that Jersey cows are considered the meanest. So, I mean, het cows, maybe they're not so mean. Het cows, Jersey cows. Let's get them in a ring toe to toe. Just kidding. Oh I don't God. condone animal fighting. Animal fighting? No. But they're interesting. I love the, the little tidbit about Texas Longhorns being... Like from a line of ancestry that includes Oryx from India and the Middle East. Yeah. And all this time they're living in Texas. Representing but. a school. That's kind of a fascinating story. I had never heard of any of that. I mean, because with World War II, with the Nazis, you really focus on the what happened to the humans mm-hmm. that were murdered and tried to be eradicated, I guess. You know, like the atrocities that happened that you you don't hear too much. And I, I wish I had seen the National Geographic. Hitler's Jurassic something. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier. I'd be really interested in seeing that. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that we don't think about or hear about much. So that Agreed. was, that's crazy. 
Who doesn't love a good subscription box? I mean, seriously, it's like getting a surprise in the mail and it's not even your birthday. What makes it even better? When that surprise box includes hand-picked sustainable plastic swaps for your eco-conscious lifestyle. Each box is specially curated for you to redesign one area of your life without plastic. With Green Up, you get an amazing sustainable box every other month. So that's six boxes per year. You can also choose the perfect box to fit your needs. Right now, they have the summer box, but you can also choose other boxes such as the clean home box, the kitchen box, the morning routine box, the workday box, and the market box for all of your shopping needs. Each of these boxes contains four to six artfully crafted, sustainable, and eco-friendly items that are curated around the theme and valued at double the box price. To sign up, go to our sponsor page at you'regonnadieoutthere.com and click the link. Go green up and reduce, reuse, and simplify. Get it, nature nerds. I would like to talk about what I want to support this week. It's a mm-hmm. little different. I don't want to support the creation of additional uh, extinct species. I'm not super keen on that. Right. I guess I'm on one side of the controversy, maybe. I don't know. Just uh, moving forward, not rolling backwards. Yeah. Yeah. But I would like to say that you can support the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. So that made a really big impact on me when I went to DC. We might have talked about it in when you were talking about Jan, Mm. that, you know, you go through and you get like a passport and you learn about a person who, you know, well, you don't actually know, but I'm sure that most of them went through a concentration camp. There's so much history that I think people are not learning anymore. Really, like they don't hear it so much. Not not enough. I'm just shocked at some of the things that have happened uh, recently. You know, even like the lady with the Star of David that she put on her shirt saying she wasn't vaccinated. Jeez. You know, trying to equate not getting vaccinated to the Holocaust. Like, what the, what is wrong with people? Yeah. Let's give some support to organizations that actually try to educate people about the atrocities of war. And, and so we don't make the same mistakes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Going to share their website. It's ushmm.org. And you can make a direct donation or they have memberships available. Okay. So, I know we usually focus on an animal organization. Yeah, there's, I just. This one it's it's interesting but it's heavy it's so heavy so heavy and as much as you know we do talk about animals and conservation and mm-hmm. you know we can focus on endangered species on all of them but this because it touches it was during that time and mm-hmm. it was such a horrific time i think it's good to have that be our organization that we support agreed it doesn't always have to be nature or related. animal yeah. related yep because we are what are we like the the number two behind mosquitoes <laughs> predator fucking it up <laughs> humans humans uh the mission of the united states holocaust memorial museum is working to keep co- the holocaust memory alive while inspiring citizens and leaders to confront hatred prevent genocide and promote human dignity in our constantly changing world nice so jen it has come to that time in our podcast where we talk about the emergency preparedness kit. Right. I think this is the part of the episode where we can we can uh, have some levity. Mm-hmm. Talking about some fucking mad cows. Right. Or we can lighten it up a bit. What are your thoughts this week? Well, actually, Megan, we did take a break so I could look some things. <laughs> <laughs> so I could look some things up. 
Yeah. Because my initial thought was, why not ride a Segway? And you could just right. out roll them. But the thing <laughs> is, is I've never been on a Segway. So I looked up how fast a cow can run in miles mm-hmm, per hour. Mm-hmm. And they run about 25 miles per hour, which is freaking fast. That's pretty fast for pretty, a yeah. giant. For, yeah. A cow. You don't think about them running fast. But a one I, ton. <laughs> tone. Heck cow. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up my cool Segway idea because I'm thinking yeah. helmet, you know, all the things, body armor. You're going on your Segway. You're still enjoying the fresh air, but you're, you know, maybe moving faster. You could have a scarf on. A scarf. Definitely. But apparently they only go 12.5 miles per hour. <laughs> I feel like that would be a good gonna, solution. You would just, work. It, the trampling would happen. Yeah. It would. <laughs> it would. It would happen. And you'd also, you know, your Segway would get trampled. And the scarf might... wouldn't even blow. And I mean, unless there's like a breeze. You would get trampled even slower <laughs> because you would be going a little faster than you might be able to run, right? And like... the Segway would probably definitely piss them off. Oh, yeah. Like, no doubt. It has like a light on it. There's a little horn. Yeah. You're like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's like really bad. We gave it some more thought. And yeah, I have to yeah. say, you know, you helped me out here because I was trying to think of how could you protect yourself? Mm-hmm. And then I think that the best thing you could do is have a rodeo, a trained rodeo cr- clown with you. I love it. At all time. All right, trained rodeo clown. It's time to go for our walk. We're going to take a walk in the English countryside. And he's just like got a barrel on each shoulder. <laughs> Because he doesn't know. Yeah. going to throw one on you, throw one on himself. <laughs> you jump out of it. I don't know what they do, but they know. But they're trained. They are. Tra- they really are. Yeah. That's a dangerous job. Why would anybody do that? No lie. I definitely want to do an episode on rodeos. But yeah. You watch any show. I mean, I've watched them. Mm-hmm. Documentaries on people who are rodeo cowboys or yeah. rodeoers. I, I never actually went to them. Mm-hmm. There was one... In our town, it was called the Roundup Club. Oh, wait, is that a strip club though? No, I mean, wasn't. It was like a rodeo place. Anyway, I don't know if there were ever rodeos there. I didn't go, but I'm just saying, when you watch that and they'll go through the list of all their injuries, Mm -hmm. if they, you know, and then so and so didn't make it, I'm just like, why? But I guess it's the thrill of it. Sure. I remember when I went to visit you in Oklahoma and we went to Cowboy Hall of Fame. I never went to a rodeo myself. But my brother was really I don't remember if it was like he was really into it or if my parents were like, you're going to be really into rodeos and stuff. There was a period of time where he was like, I I think he was making a transition Uh to like Georgia style good old boy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and at some point, you know, he he went to high school and he was like, never mind that. I'm I I like tie dye t-shirts. He wore tie dye t-shirts for like years. It was crazy. I have have a picture of him with a rodeo cowboy. Got to be like seven or eight. And one of our parents had bought him these suede chaps and vest and like a little toy gun, like a little belt thing with it. Oh, my God. He's told me there's a photo. Oh, there is a photo. I know exactly where it is, too. Oh, he's going to kill us. <laughs> he's going to be like, and I no longer speak to you. But he was so cute in his little cowboy. Anyway, and he had like a little cowboy hat and it came with a lasso. Oh. And he's standing there in his little cowboy boots with all the stuff so next cute. to this. Like, How old was he again? Full, seven, maybe. Yeah, cute. Maybe younger. Yes. Anyway, I have I have that outfit. Because he had it for the longest. And when my son was born, I found it in his stuff. And I was like, I'm 
taking this for my kid. And my son never, well, I, maybe once he wore it. But he, like, wasn't, he was on. never into <laughs> cowboy stuff because we were in Hawaii. And it's like, there are Hawaiian cowboys. There's some songs about Hawaiian cowboys. Yeah. But it's not like where we were on Oahu. It was like more city, cityscape. Yeah, most of the Big Island, right? Yeah, Big Island. And I mean, some places on Oahu, they have like horse farms and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I love that picture of my brother. I totally, it's like he's not really on Instagram anymore. He won't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So a rodeo clown with some barrels. And some barrels. I like it. It's all you need. Well, not only are they protecting you, but they're also the comic relief. They're also entertainment. And they also scare people away because everybody's scared. I love it. I love it. All right. And that was a great story. Story. So we Thank do have you. a couple of patrons to shout out. Yes, let's do it. I think our first patron is uh, your your f- good friend. My good friend from yes, since growing is. up, Candace. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you. Candace. Yay. Love you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Always. And we have another patron and her name is, we hope we're saying this right. We're sorry for not Madeline. Or Madeline. Or Madeline. We're yeah. not sure. But thank you. Thank you so much for joining our little Patreon family. Thanks for the support. We are going to try to continue to give you guys some bonus materials just for our patrons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely a bonus episode every month and we'll be getting some more out to you guys uh, very soon. Plus you get discounts on merch and all kinds of stuff so and a sweet personal message from us oh yeah but we just appreciate your support like we were saying earlier we're just a little itty bitty independent podcast and we're doing our best and we hope to improve and you guys are helping us do that so thank you thank you so much all right well awesome story megan thank Um, you so much i'm looking forward to next week uh yeah it's gonna be a surprise well in that case until next time don't die out there bye bye